Grid Nation. I'm Joe Cadwell, the host of the show, and on today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with retired U.S. Navy commander, Ph.D. in biomedical engineering, and author of the new fictional thriller, Secrets in Death. His name is Joe Deturi, and his laid-back persona and colorful and exciting life truly make for an interesting episode. We'll open our conversation by learning about Joe's journey as an enlisted sailor to being commanding officer in charge of the Navy's Deep Submergence Unit. Next, we'll unpack his transition out of the spec op community and into the world of hyperbaric medicine. We'll then hear how Joe's involvement in a rollover car crash contributed to his researching traumatic brain injuries, starting with his own. Later, we'll dive into Joe's work to help prior military service men and women overcome the debilitating effects of explosive concussions and why his unique approach of not just treating the psychological manifestations of the injury, but the actual physical and physiological root causes as well has proven so effective. And we'll wrap up our conversation by discussing Secrets in Depth, a Jack Reacher-esque style thriller that weaves many aspects of Joe's life into the main protagonist character known as the Dragon Slayer. After the episode, be sure to check out the show notes for more information about Joe Deturi and his new book, Secrets in Depth. And now on to the show. Joe Deturi, welcome to Grit Nation. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Joe, for taking your time to be on my show today. I've been following your career, been listening to some podcasts, uh, reading a lot online about Mr. Joe Deturi, a.k.a. Dr. Deep Sea. And for the listeners who may not know who Joe Deturi is, I was hoping you could introduce us to the guy who's a motivational speaker, a former military commander in the Navy, and now an author. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. It's always weird talking about yourself, in my opinion, but, you know, I sit here and go, oh, God. So I did 28 years in the Navy. I uh, worked my way up from an enlisted guy to an officer. When I retired, I retired out of Special Operations Command as a commander and decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore. I wanted to do something totally different. So I went back to school. I got a PhD in biomedical engineering, and now I work on and cure, try and solve traumatic brain injury, among other things, in the clinical research realm. Uh, Traumatic brain injury happens to be near and dear to my heart, having had a couple and also have a bunch of friends that uh, have decided to end their life, uh, you know, because of traumatic brain injury. So, so yeah, I just, uh, I wrote a book because during COVID I was bored and it's been sitting around for the past 15 years since I was in charge at Deep Submergence Unit, that idea of that book's been rattling around in my brain. So I was like, okay, COVID, not doing a whole lot of work. I'm teaching med school online. Uh, let's write a book. I got a good idea. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And we'll get into that book. I believe it's the uh, Secrets of the Deep, which has just recently been Secrets published. Secrets in Depth, yeah. Se- I'm sorry, Secrets in Depth. Huh. And you've also re- written another book, The Tao of Underwater Survival, and and then also a children's book as well. And that is My Daddy Wears a Different Kind of Suit to Work. Those, they're just fun books, right? You know? Good, good stuff. So let's let's uh, unpeel the 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 layers of uh, the Joe Deturi onion slowly. Let's start with your childhood, Joe. You were born in uh, New York, from what I understand. Born in Oceanside, New York. Uh, my dad uh, worked for an Italian company, so I lived in Italy for the first uh, four or five years of my life. 
um, used to speak Italian, don't do it anymore, uh, and then moved to Long Island, New York, where we continued to, uh, you know, grow up. And I lived all my, I guess, teenage years here. Joined the Navy when I was 17, only because my mom would not let me go in the Marine Corps. Uh, that was my first choice, but uh, thank goodness that all worked out. And then, you know, uh, was a machinist mate, was a data processing technician, worked my way up to get get a commission, and oh boy. <laughs> so how did you get into the diving then in the uh, the Navy? I was on a submarine tender uh, for my second tour. First tour was an aircraft carrier, second tour was a submarine tender. While I was on the tender, I... Uh, you know, I saw these guys, we were in Groton, Connecticut. I saw these guys that were just running around in shorts and shirts. And, you know, I'm like the, the UDTs and the blue and gold UDTs and the blue and gold. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, yo, what's up with that? Master David Donlin drags me aside and goes, we don't just take anybody. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was sailing a freaking quarter on an aircraft carrier for crying out loud. I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah. You know, and he's like, huh? Hmm. We'll see. Made me a mud pup, sent me over to uh, Naval Submarine Medical Research Laboratory, where I worked on a saturation dive system and uh, worked the Trimix series of down decompression required if, if a submarine was saturated. So worked on that with a great group of researchers. And like, I really, like I learned research at that point. Like I, that's where I cut my teeth and read. I didn't know anything. And then they're like, hey, you're, you're a very smart guy. Why don't you go to school? And I'm like, well, I'm going to school at night. And they're like, no, 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 no. Why don't you apply for the enlisted commissioning program? And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> so and the rest is history, man. Just get up there and went to school, got a bachelor's in computer science and then got commissioned in special operations officer pipeline. So you were in for 28 years and uh, it sounds like a good part of that was with the uh, with the spec ops and with... Yeah. Um, with a diving program. From what I understand, you did saturation diving. I worked at an enlisted saturation diving facility where we did all that research. That's where the Genesis chambers were. When Captain George Bond was theorizing the um, the possibility of doing Sea Lab, he did it there. Oh, wow. Right? So all of those chambers, they're still alive. They're still around, right? All that stuff. The Genesis chamber, all, all, those, uh, all the people and stuff is all there. And then... When I got commissioned, I was just a regular diver. They called it a basic diving officer. Sure. So I was an 1140 special operations guy. And then I was at two tours in uh, the spec ops community. And then I saw that they wanted me to go to EOD school. And at that point, I was like, I'm not going to EOD school. I got almost 20 years in the Navy. Why would I go to EOD school at this time? Because I was long in the tooth, right? I was enlisted for 10 years and then, you know, sure. officer for to stop you real yeah. quick there, Joe, for folks who don't yeah. know, EOD is Explosive Ordnance Disposal School. Uh, we tend to bandy yeah. about these uh, these acronyms, you know, being ex-military. But yeah, EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. So you, you, you said no to that. I said no to that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I was like, OK, the writing's on the wall. I think that entire community is going towards the Explosive Ordnance Disposal route and less with the diving and salvage and mine countermeasures. So I popped over to the engineering duty diver community. So they sent me off to uh, postgraduate school. I got a master's in astronautical engineering. It's funny because they asked me, you know, just like ask any two people in a crowd and be like, OK, you can go to school and get a master's in mechanical engineering, or you can go get a master's in astronautical engineering. I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but that sounds way cooler. It, it sure does. And for the layperson, myself included, what is that? What is the difference? 
So uh, astronautical engineering has to do with the uh, the things that you have to deal with as an engineer for space, for space flight, orbital mechanics, um, the 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 fall rates, uh, geosynchronous orbits. Um, has a lot to do with satellites and satellite uplinks, but it also has a lot to do with life support stuff. So for me, everybody's like, oh, well, you're all over the place. I'm like, well, I'm all over the place, but I'm really in life support. I'm all over the place in life support, you know, so... I just tried to, uh, you know, I tried to make it fit me. And that's kind of what I did with my uh, my master's is I kind of just found the right professor, asked him to let me do the things that I wanted to do, wrote a couple articles, did a couple of things. And that was great. You know, while my thesis was actually a statistical orbital determination, it's a whole bunch of math. It really doesn't matter. The physics and the physiology were not lost on me. And I wrote a bunch of articles and I became a speaker on that topic because it's like, how many guys are really savvy in space stuff? Not a lot. I can tell you that. So, you know, okay, never been to space, wanted to go to space. So I said, well, let me just try this. So, you know, did the whole NASA astronaut thing, application thing. And they were like, you are, uh, <laughs> you are, uh, you are too devilishly handsome to be an astronaut. That's, they literally told me that. I've heard that so many times <laughs> in my life. So they said, you are better off being a steely eyed denizen of the deep. And I said, thank you very much. Um, so then I, you know, I went off and I did uh, more engineering duty officer tours from there. I got uh, to be the, the guy who's in charge of deep submergence unit, the diving detachment. We brought the one atmosphere suit online. We certified the pressurized rescue module. We replaced the Mystic and the Avalon as the DSRVs and the rescue asset on scene. Deep submergence, rescue vehicles for those listening at home. Oh, I'm sorry. No worries. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of this sounds like it's it's building up to a point where you're going to eventually put it all down in paper during COVID. It sounds like you got a little bit bored. You were, I I understand, directed by the government to kind of like not put too much fact in there. So we're talking about a factitional book that you've written called Secrets in Depth. Secrets in depth. Exactly. That it? Okay. Yep, so your exploits. Exactly. My exploits. Um, I, I, you know, the names have changed to protect the absolutely guilty, you know, and some of the stuff actually didn't happen. So it, in the book, uh, people died that didn't actually die. You know, in the book, things happened that didn't actually happen. But it's all drama and it's a fun read. And, you know, uh, some people were, you know, comparing it to like Jack Reacher sort of stuff. But I, I view it as the the uh, the protagonist is basically just that more like the Bruce Willis hero, not okay. you know, like the unwitting, unwilling. I didn't want to be in the middle of this. This was not my gig. And you guys wanted me to go do some super secret squirrel mission, but it's not in my required operational commitment, projected operational environment. Why would I go do that? Well, because the admiral told you to. Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> Well, very cool. And well, I'm sure we'll get a little more into the book as we go along, but it sounds like a pretty distinguished career in the military. 28 years, you uh, you left active duty, uh, how many years ago? I want to say it's going on 10, nine, okay. nine plus, certainly. Okay. So you took a pretty solid foundation that the military provided for you and you transitioned that. I think you said at a certain point you had a master's degree and now you're a PhD. So I'm a PhD in biomedical engineering. So all that life support stuff comes to play. And then when I retired, we were losing lots of people. And, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, Admiral McRaven calls me up and says, hey, uh, listen, Aquanaut, I need your help. Uh, I got I got 22 people a day killing themselves. Uh, will you be on the preservation of the force and family for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll help. I was retiring at that point. I was retired. Uh, and he was like, can you help? And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I, I can help more. I can help more because we can fix this. Like, I'm too dumb to know that that there's no cure for traumatic brain injury. I'm too dumb, right? So I just, I go, I learn a whole bunch of stuff and I'm like, well, what do you think? Let's try this. What do you think? Think that'll work? Think that'll work? I don't know. We're rolling dice, right? And we found that if you come at it, if you come at traumatic, traumatic brain injury has three components to it. Physical, physiological, and psychological, right? So if you treat one of them, you got... You got those other two outliers and it'll always keep coming back. It'll re-manifest itself. You'll relive that trauma. You'll re-injure yourself. The the hypoxia to the brain is always going to be there. So if you treat everything simultaneously, what I'm seeing right now, and this is preliminary and I'm a scientist, so, you know, it's it's early. I'm telling you, I have a very small end. uh, So I'm not claiming victory just yet. But we can't find any discernible uh, record of somebody having a traumatic brain injury right now, right? All of their test scores are through the roof. They're feeling great. Anecdotally, they're like, yes, thank you. You saved my life. And, uh, and, you know, as the reportable stuff, we can't see anything. So, but it's really hard to discern. So really we're not done yet. We have work to do. Let's, let's back it up a little bit. So back then uh, the, the special operations command, you said we're having how many people killing themselves? At that time, it was 22. I believe it's gone up to 25 or 28, and it's back down to 25. I think, uh, yeah. A day, a, a week, day. a day. So people day. That, that were in, in the special forces in, in all of people our branches of service. in general. Okay. 22 a day are killing themselves. And why, it, why was that, or why is that? I opine, right? I mean— you're asking me my opinion. The answer is we don't know. But um, I opine that um, so backwards, go to Vietnam. People would have a concussive blast injury and they just wouldn't survive it. I mean, that would just we didn't have the body armor back then. We didn't have the helmets back then. We didn't have the, the blast protection. We didn't have the, you know, the encasements and so forth. Now so people were just shredded when, a, when just a blast shredded. went by and they would die. Exactly. They wouldn't survive it and that'd be that. But now it's great because we're protecting them, but it still scrambles the head. I know that I've been in a couple of explosions and uh, and they're not pretty. I mean, right. there's no there's no easy way out of it. When your bell is rung, your bell is rung. When you're lit on fire and you're burned, you're lit on fire and burned. I mean, you know, right. it's so going. It's Going going back to your 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 three legs of that uh, traumatic brain injury stool, or someone that survived a traumatic brain injury, you said there was a, a psychological, a physiological, and a physical. Physical, okay. So yeah. so and and let's if we could real quick, Joe, and again in layman's terms, try to break down those three legs of the the stool. So we'll start with the physical, then the the actual mechanics of what happens when someone suffers a, and it sounds like an extreme concussion. Can I just kind of simplify it by saying uh, uh, something uh, like a concussion can lead to TBI, traumatic sure. brain injury? It, it's it's concussion-like, yeah, and multiple concussion syndromes can lead to a traumatic brain injury. It's, it's all in a definition, and that kind of really doesn't matter. But what it is is you're disconnecting 
a synaptic pathway. You're, you're, you go from here to here with your learning and knowledge and education, right? And then this node right here is broken. The node in the center of your head is broken. So that's where you go through all the time. And that node's just broken for whatever reason. And do you know that it only takes 1.3 G to break a synaptic pathway? So 1.3 times gravitational acceleration. That is a hard stop in a car against the seatbelt. Just, just to be clear, right? That's, that's what it takes to create a traumatic brain injury or break in a synaptic pathway, right? And if it happens to be a crucial one where it goes from the language area and out and you get it in that node, well, then you don't talk very well or you have speech difficulties or in my case, you have nystagmus and, you know, uh, you have brain injury from being able, now you can't process your vision correctly. So it's, it's multifaceted. It's like saying, it's like saying some, to say traumatic brain injury is to say you have cancer. Well, did you have prostate cancer? Did you have melanoma? Did you have breast cancer? Did you have what, what, what mesothelioma? I mean, you know, right. what was it? Catch all term then when we say TBI. So we have the physical manifestation or the physical uh, actual reality that there's been a broken synapse, a pathway that relays information in the brain. Then you said there's a, a physiological. Yeah. So there's the chemical changes in the body, right? There's the, there's the increase in something called interleukin, right? Uh, it's cytokines, these, these inflammatory markers. So your body's immune response is to, you know, bring aid by the form of white blood cells, but it inflames everything. So once you have this inflammatory response, it actually reduces cerebral blood flow at that point. So, you know, your, our idea currently as researchers is that we should be increasing cerebral blood flow. So we're trying to do stuff that increases cerebral blood flow. And we'll get into that because I believe you're using hyperbarics, again, drawing on some of your past experiences with diving yeah. and hyperbaric medicine to do so. And then finally, you said psychologically. Psychologically. The third oh, we are overdeveloped. As, as humans, we are overdeveloped in the frontal part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex specifically. This is supposed to be, the prefrontal cortex is supposed to be more executive function. But since it's oversized and underutilized, we store everything up there. It's, it's like storing everything on your hard drive in that spot. Well, what we do is we store the lesson, which is important, and we store the pain. We store the lesson and the pain coupled together. What you have to do is you have to decouple the lesson from the pain. I don't need the pain of putting my hand on a hot stove. I don't need to have that with me the rest of my life to know that I shouldn't put my hand on a hot stove, right? So decouple that and then store it where it's supposed to be stored in the medulla oblongata, right? Okay. So it's just, it's rerouting where you're, how you're storing this stuff. And you use a detachment technique. I mean, I, I, I hooked up with a cognitive behavioral therapist who's a PhD in psychology and she walked me through my traumatic brain injury and then moved it forward. So I, I said, that's it. You're hired. And trust me, I've been to a bunch of cognitive behavioral therapists and none of them were worth a darn until I found one who was an ex-military girl who went back and got a PhD and she's working on her second doctorate right now just to codify her process, which is terrific. So fantastic. And so you were tasked with helping these soldiers to be honest with you. I saw everything that was going on in the preservation of the force and family. And I saw that they were only doing it from a psychological perspective. Gotcha. And I said, you're missing the point. I said, I'm not that smart yet. 
but I'm not that smart, but, but I think we got to be doing this in, in different avenues. And finally, I just came through this entire process on December of this past year uh, while I was sitting there going, hey, I do not want to go to another funeral. Uh, but I call them my brain trust, a bunch of buddies of mine. We get together, PhDs, MDs, you know, uh, influential people, money movers, shakers, and we all talk. Right. We just sit around the fire and tell lies to one another most of the time, you know. Uh, but as we're talking, it's like, hey, what do you want for next year? And I was like, I do not want to go to another funeral. I don't want to go to another funeral. I don't want to lose another guy. And they're like, and my guys challenge me. They're like, all right, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, huh. Well, I don't know. Uh, why don't I just get the group that helped me with my traumatic brain injury and maybe we can. They're like, well, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> so we just kind of like cobbled this together. And then it's like, oh, we can do an ex post facto, you know, study on this and, you know, try and retroactively figure out what's going on. But, you know, as researchers, we're really bad, right? A researcher, if you ask three researchers why, why my potted plant is dying, one will say it's food, it needs food. The other will say it needs water. And the other will say it needs sunlight. But as researchers, we want to find out which one of those it needs. Now, common sense tells you it needs all three of those. That's common sense. But common sense is not what we are about in research. So what we do is we put it in the sun for 24 hours straight. And then when the plant dies, our understanding is that sun kills plants. <laughs> right? So same thing with water. Same thing with food, nutrients. Right? So it's like, no, it's a combination. And that's why I was like... I got it. I'm going to go back to that combination thing. I'm going to treat it all. And you were treating this on yourself because you had recently suffered a, a fairly significant brain injury. Yep. I was T-boned. I drive a 1947 Chevy and uh, I got T-boned. And uh, when I did, I lost the consciousness in the car. I was out for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. I don't know how long. They don't know how long. You know, nobody knows anything except that I was out. Sure. Got to the hospital and it was like, oh yeah, you have a really good traumatic brain injury. You're jacked up. What's going on? I'm like, uh -huh. I have no idea. So then I started getting on the road to try and repair it. And my initial thought was hyperbarics. And that was, so this isn't just for frame of reference, September 7th of last year. Yes. Thank you for, for doing that. This is recent history. It's not yet been a year since you've suffered a, a a rather significant TBI, and again, talking to you and listening to you, and and, uh, and looking at you, Joe, you seem not like a you're pretty well adjusted for having survived such a, a horrific uh, event. So, is this because of of some of the protocols and procedures that you had adopted along the way of helping other people out? One hundred percent. Because so, what I wound up doing was first I'm treating with hyperbarics, and then I got better. And then I wasn't treating the other stuff. So I got worse. So I'm like, I got worse. I got in my mind. I started spinning my mind around. And I was like, you know, they tell you um, they uh, there are groups out there who pontificate going to um, let's just say going to Mexico and doing things that are not legal in the United States. Psychotropics. So I did that and do not do that because that does not work. And I came back and I was sitting in my office right here in this chair and I was literally bawling. And my friend, one of those movers and shakers in that group, walked in and he's like, it was like October time frame. And he's like, what's going on, man? And I'm like, I haven't slept in like six weeks. I'm, 
I'm spiraling, man. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Because one of the side effects of having a traumatic brain injury is altered sleep state, right? You can't sleep. And when you can't sleep, man, it's a downhill, right? I know. So the depression kicks in, the crying, the anger, the, I mean, I was such a stereotypical prefrontal cortex left side injury. It was like, you could have written a book on it, right? Like, oh yeah. He's angry all the time. He switches from being angry to being sad and crying. You know, he has risk-taking behavior. He has uh, suspicious behavior. Everybody and this is, is all post-accident, obviously, is what you're Post-accident. Before right? that, you were fairly level-headed. I mean, you had a <laughs> Navy commander for 28 years, a PhD. And then after this, this, this traumatic injury, you begin to have some significant changes in your personality. And, and I'll tell you, I was... Uh, I understand or I understood at that time despotism, right? I was like, I was at that point. I was at that point where I was like, well, if this is it for me forever, now I see. Now I see because I can't, I cannot function like this. This is not going to work. It's not going to work. So So the hyperbarics came into play right off the bat, it sounds like. And for, again, the lay person who doesn't understand this, uh, someone who goes into a hyperbaric chamber is put under pressure. The the atmospheres are increased. The amount of pressure pounds per square inch in the chamber is is increased. And you're breathing 100% oxygen at those depths for periods of time in order to hyperperfuse the tissues with oxygen. Is that sort of in a nutshell what we're doing? That's exactly right. Exactly right. And and what is the benefit uh, to that, uh, medically speaking? So normally your oxygen is transported to your tissues via the hemoglobin, right? So they can only carry a certain amount. But it turns out, and hemoglobin are in the grand scheme of things large when it comes to the capillary bed perfusion. When it comes to getting the oxygen out to all the little tissues that need it and all the tissues that are swollen shut, all that ischemia, all that swelling that we talked about earlier, when you have a poorly perfused tissue, that means that the red blood cells can't even get to it. So what happens is when you use hyperbarics, hyperbaric oxygen, it saturates your plasma with enough sufficient amount of oxygen to support cellular respiration without having any hemoglobin in your system. So you don't even need hemoglobin during hyperbarics to transport the oxygen. You get enough from just the plasma. And plasma is really teeny compared to hemoglobin, and it weeps everywhere. So what it does is it increases cerebral blood flow. Like That's one of the known mechanisms of action. It also creates something called neurogenesis. And neurogenesis is more just a um, – it's, it's the growing of new neural pathways, which is a relatively new science from what I understand. I think the old school thought was we could never, you know, repair uh, a brain which has been damaged. And that this yeah. neurogenesis is kind of a, a, an emerging field in science, isn't it? And medicine. It, it really is. It really is. And what you need is something called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is this like lawn seed. You seed the lawn and then you water it with hyperbarics and then you come out of the hyperbarics. And this is where all this stuff ties in physical, physiological, psychological. You hit it with neuroplasticity. You hit it with neurofeedback, which is up training and down training the brain waves. Uh, you know, you hit it with that cognitive based therapy. You hit it with, you know, the physical therapy, you, you know, and you do all this at once so that the oxygen's helping you. The brain-derived neurotropic factors helping you increase cerebral blood, blah, 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 blah. So it's, you get this additive effect of healing 
you know, and it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, it sounds to me like it's a whole brain, whole body approach, a holistic approach to treating the patient as a whole, as opposed to just, you know, looking at the, the, the signs or symptoms. Hey, this person's angry. Let's give them some pills to kind of take, take right. the edge off of that anger. So this sounds like you're onto some really, really good things. And without getting too deep into, into the weeds, it sounds like Joe, from, from what I'm gathering, obviously uh, a very motivated person. I've picked up a few times. You, you have trouble just staying still. You get bored. You push yourself to different levels. And when you do that, you are uh, one of the things that you've done, one of the things I've, I've, I've caught on to is you're a motivating kind of guy. And you've actually yeah. been asked to speak as a motivational speaker to, to groups over the years about your experiences in the military and yeah. so forth. So what can you tell my listener now, someone who is a blue collar worker, someone who, you know, works in the field and, and it's not always a sunny day. Where are some motivational tips, Joe, that we can talk about to, to help them see through to the next level? All right. Pretty easy and straightforward. Uh, I'll let you, you and your listeners know. I don't think I've ever said this before, but I got a 910 on my SAT and everybody's like, what? You have a PhD. And I'm like, yeah, I got a 910 on my SAT. Went to go into the Navy wasn't physically qualified. I have these moles all over my body. They're like, huh, you got moles. You can't come in. And then somebody said, you can have a waiver. Oh, okay. What's a waiver? Now I learned the waiver. And then I went to go get commissioned and my eyesight wasn't correctable to 2020. And they're like, waiver. And I'm like, waiver, got it. Then we're building, you know, uh, deep submergence rescue assets. And I'm like, hey, is there a waiver for this? physical stuff, you know, the pressure depth test. And then by the time I got to, to SOCOM to build dry combat submersible, I was like, waiver, waiver, waiver. I'm signing waivers by myself. Right. So it's like in life in general, there is a waiver for everything. There's a rule. And then there's a waiver to that rule. So my piece of advice to you guys is work around it, man. I understand that there's a rule work around it. What, what Admiral McRaven said is he says, you are allowed to break any rule you want because I make rules. He said, you're not allowed to break any laws, <laughs> but you can break all the rules that you want. And we'll, we'll fix that. So you see what I'm saying? Just like bend the rule, be aggressive, push forward. You know, all this with the sense of doing something good in your life. Hey, man, you know, bend that rule. Don't. Don't wave. Don't blink an eye. <laughs> it, it kind of falls in line with something I've always uh, lived by and said. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. But in the military, I do remember those waivers and uh, a lot of things that, uh, you know, you, you have to work around, like you say. So, Joe, uh, so, yeah, getting that waiver, getting around whatever obstacles are in your way sounds like a great uh, plan. But I also picked up on something that uh, from a, an episode I listened to, you talked about load shedding. And I'm hoping you can explain to the, to the listeners a little bit more on what load shedding is. So load shedding came out of my military days when I was uh, an engineer on a ship. And, um, you know, what we have is a bunch of critical systems that have to stay online all the time. And then there's like ancillary systems, you know, like, like air conditioning is an ancillary system. Who cares? I want the engineering plant to be running, but I don't care if the AC is working. You know what I'm saying? So, but the overall, the takeaway is just let the unimportant things slide, right? Let the things that are not, it, it, look, if you got too much going on, you just let those unimportant things slide, but you got to know your core. You got to know your base. Like, you know, like we said in the Navy, honor, courage, and commitment, right? I don't lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. 
that's my core value, right? And if I if I have that and it's good, no matter what's going on in me, no matter how much brief I got to prepare for Congress or how much what admiral's yelling at me or somebody wants this or, you know, the kid is going, I, you know, I didn't get my milk money today. Just load shed the stuff that can't be dealt with at that point and then just go back to your core values. But that takes a lot of uh, soul searching and understanding what your what your core values are. So it takes a lot of work on your part, but trust me, it's worthwhile because once you know your center, boy, you're good. And for so many people, I think a, a lot of the listeners may be younger and in, in, uh, still trying to find out what their center are. And for core values, for someone such as yourself, who's obviously lived a full and, and rich life and is, seems like really in the, uh, the spirit of giving back to, uh, to the community, what are some of your core values, Joe? Yeah. So uh, I, I went to grew up Catholic, right? So as I'm raising my children, I didn't raise them in a religious sense, but I raised them with a bunch of these core values. So, you know, uh, balance being the first core value, right? Balance, family, consideration of others. Those are the top three. And everything has to be in balance, right? So like balance is the most important. And then family, even family has to be in balance, right? Because like, yeah, dad comes to visit you and stay with you for a little while, only in little amounts. You know, right. you don't want dad living with you 24 seven, right? You don't want mom to be there all the time. You know, family has to be taken in little bits. Sure. So balance family, consideration of others, be assiduous, uh, the four agreements, be impeccable with your word, you know, uh, don't take it personally. So as I kind of grew, I made a whole list of them. And that's kind of the way that I'm, that I'm working uh, my life. And I add to it daily and I, I you know, I subtract from it. I'm like, well, we don't need that, you know? Uh, right. For, for sure. And, um, so how did you, how did you come up with these? I, I heard you reference the, the four agreements, which, yeah. uh, for folks who don't know, was a, uh, a book based on ancient Toltec wisdom. And, uh, it's a fantastic read. I'll make sure and put it in the hyperlinks for the show, show notes. Oh, yeah. Um, I first came across that of, of the most random place. I think it was a, uh, uh, an episode on, uh, HBO's Barry about the, uh, the hitman turned actor. And, uh, I'd never heard of the four, four agreements. So you never know when you're going to cross paths with some, something like that. But, uh, sure. yeah. So, um, do you have a personal philosophy? You know, look, in in the end, and, and you know, as I'm older, I'm, I'm mid-50s right sure. now, right? So as I grew older, I was like, none of this stuff matters. Like, happiness is on my list, and I moved happiness higher up because it's like, in all of this, if you decide to be happy, that's the best thing that you could do. If you can find a job that makes you happy, that's great because if you work your entire life, you work 30 years in a career that you just hate. You hate going to work. You're like, oh my God, you wasting your life, you know? So it is, and this is what I'm trying to teach the kids now as they're mid twenties, you know, whatever. And I'm like, look, you need to start working on your own happiness. Find your happiness, find the things that make you happy, find what excites you to get you out of bed in the morning because Trust me, when you're 50 and everything hurts, it's like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed today. <laughs> I need something to get out of bed for. Well, I'm fighting for the kids. You know, okay, go. Get out of bed. You need to have that passion. Now, uh, recently you have written the book, The Secrets in Depth. And did you, uh, you said you drew that from inspiration from your time in the military. What is the process? When you sat down, when you finally put pen to paper, uh, what, what was your, your process? 
So what I did was I threw up on paper. That's the God's honest truth. I just threw it up on paper. And then I kind of hired a guy who, um, who basically recorded a session and he'd read everything that I had and then ask me questions so that I'd go deeper. So now I have a depth of stuff. Now I have 70, 80,000 words, right? And then I went to an editor and they're like, did you seriously graduate high school? Because you write like you're in the fourth grade. And I'm like, I know, I know, I get it. Right. But then she helped me. And I mean, the whole editorial staff and team, you know, they're like, okay, what are you trying to say? They'd call me on the phone. They're like, what are you trying to say? And then they'd massage it and they'd go, I go, oh, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. That's exactly it, right? What's the, what's the protagonist's name in your uh, your book? So Joe Camissa. Joe Camissa. Uh, he's, right. he's a nice Italian boy from New York, right? Man, Forget imagine about. that. Imagine that. Uh, very similar, very similar looking to me, uh, very similar acting, but uh, no, no resemblance, really. Right. Uh, but so the the thought process is that there may be a book, two, And the reason that there is a book, two, we just kind of left it open, because when I left there, when I left Deep Submergence Unit, went to SOCOM. Oh, boy, some interesting things happened. So that's where we literally put pen to paper on dry combat submersible. And, you know, like. That's that's the asset that we're using right now. It's really cool that we we conceived of this on a napkin in a bar, two Navy SEALs, me and a uh, civilian engineer and uh, and named Jay Schroeder. And uh, and we boy, did we do some great things. And now it's a full programmer record. I don't know. It's one point six billion dollars, one point four billion dollars, whatever it is. It's really great. Like, oh, we did that. We did that on a cocktail napkin. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, we're going to have to talk about that. Hopefully have you back on the show some other time. But more importantly, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but more importantly, the next book that's in the hopper for Joe is why my traumatic brain injury is the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, that's the title of the working title of the book you're going to be writing. That is the working title of the one that I'm already throwing up on paper right now. Well, let's explore that just a few more minutes then. Uh, Why has a traumatic brain injury been the best thing for Joe? So. We're treating traumatic brain injury here, right? And I'm I'm learning the things that work and the things that don't work, right? And it's just like I'm working with a bunch of physicians here. I'm working with my staff. We're all trying to push down the road. And, you know, you have a kid that's laying in the chamber or getting some sort of treatment, neurofeedback, something, and he's very angry. And one of them reached up, grabs the speaker, rips the speaker off the wall. And I'm like, and, and he's a 30-something-year-old kid. He's like, you know... 6'4", 250 pounds, he's ginormous, right? But he's got a traumatic brain injury. So what my traumatic brain injury gave me was the ability to empathize. And instead of being upset about it, instead of being, you know, whatever, his mom was there and she was in tears. She was absolutely in tears. So when he went off to the to use the restroom at that point, um, she was sitting there and she's like, what do I owe you for this? And I'm like, just, just come here. Just, just give me a hug. I said, mom, you're doing a freaking great job. I said, whatever, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about that. That's twisted metal. We'll fix that. You're okay. Right? So it's more the human component, that empathy that, that I frankly lacked. Right. Um, and, and that recent relevant experience with the traumatic brain injury gave me that look, Joe, it's not personal. Don't take it personal. Don't make it personal. And God, try and try and help. Just keep doing something every day. It, you know, you, you asked me about my if I have an overall philosophy and the one that I truly live by just came to mind. And it's like I only need true nobility is not being better than your fellow man. It's being greater than your former self. 
So all I have to do is be better than I was yesterday. Hemingway quote, I believe, isn't it? Hemingway, exactly, right? So it's like, all I got to do is be better than I was yesterday. I mess up, I'll be better tomorrow. I mess up, I'll be better tomorrow. I just keep getting better, keep getting better. And if we all just did that, I mean, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, they said, just be excellent to one another. (laughs) Really good philosophy, believe it or not. (laughs) Right up there with Socrates and Plato, we got Bill and Ted and... uh... Joe Deturi, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Where can people go to find out more about uh, you and your work and your book? Thank you. Yeah, uh, www.drdeepsea.com, D-R-D-E-E-P-S-E-A.com, uh, or just Google Joe Deturi. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Dr. Deep Sea, um, Twitter, and all that. I don't know. You know, like I generally don't do the Facebook and Instagram stuff. Occasionally, I'm on there, but... You know, you got to have somebody doing that nowadays because that's the way you reach people. So, but Secrets in Depth is the name of the novel. And I would absolutely love it if you guys went out and really gave me a hard scrub and looked at it and went, hey, that's good. Or, hey, Joe, you let this fall. You could have done so much better. Let me know because we'll put that in the next book or the next book, you know. All right. Well, I sure do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Thanks for the invite. My guest today has been Joe Deturi, author of Secrets in Depth. To dive deeper into the topic, pun totally intended, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode or visit the show's website at gritnationpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, family member, or anyone else you think may get something out of it. And if you haven't already done so, I'd really appreciate it if you could take one minute, I mean seriously one minute, to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Your input really does make a difference in helping other people find the show, and it keeps me motivated to continue putting out the content I hope you like to hear. As always, thanks for your continued support, and until next time, thank you for wanting to know more today than you did yesterday. And I'm going to get your book. Oh, I really appreciate that. I would really, really, really appreciate that. It, trust me, it's one of those things. I'll, uh, yeah. I, I love it. When people say, hey, I read your book, I'm like, I'm always floored because, you know, like I said, my, my my English teacher from the 11th grade is probably rolling right now going, you wrote a book? Oh, my God, you did. <laughs>